Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoy today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. Man, it's good to see y'all here today. It's a beautiful day. We got some rain for the first time in a while here in Phoenix. What was that stuff falling from the sky? We got to use our windshield wipers for the first time and discover if we needed replaced ones. Right? Hey, we're continuing on in our series, Asking for a Friend. And it's been a good series, very important series for us. And today we're going to tackle the topic of gender identity, gender dysphoria, and sexuality. That's what we're hitting today. And I got to just say, parents, this message is rated PG. Just in case we have any kids here, and I just wanted to make sure that you heard that. It's PG. It it almost was PG-13, but I edited it a little bit to make it PG. So still, parental guidance would be required and suggested. But as we approach this topic, I want to start off by saying this, that I want to handle this with compassionate conviction. This is how I think we need to approach all of these topics that we're addressing in this series. And if you've missed any of the series, I would encourage you to go back and listen to this series because we want to have compassionate conviction on all of these topics, but maybe more so in this one, because this is a big one in our culture today. There's a lot of tension in this topic. So much tension, like whether it be legal issues or elementary education issues or HR policy issues or political issues, like you can list me on and on. Like there's lots of tension and debate and discussion and arguing in regards to this topic. So this is, this is an important one. And, you know, a few weeks ago, we looked at the topic of homosexuality and really asked how should we as Christians address this? How should we handle it? What should we believe about homosexuality? And in that two-part series, I really talk about there's an agenda. There's a gay agenda that started way back in the, in the late 60s, early 70s that uh, pushed on our culture to create an acceptance of all of this. And what that agenda did, it's, there's no, it's not a hidden agenda. It's very much in books and magazines. Uh, but what that agenda did is it created a massive sociological and epistemological and even a political shift in our country, so much so that sociologists are shocked by how quickly, it took. it's like the fastest sociological shift ever to take place in human history to where we're at now and how we view uh, the gay lifestyle. So what started out as lesbian, gay, bisexual, the LGB community became LGBT to add the trans, then it became LGBTQ to add the queer, and then it became LGBTQIA. The I stands for intersex, A stands for uh, asexual. Then it's plus, and so it continues to add all of this. And what happened is that this gay agenda that they put forth got more than they bargained for and ended up being way more than what they anticipated. And most of what they wanted has already taken place, but then it just, it's like it keeps going. The floodgates were opened, and now it's going further than a lot of them really want it to, to go down. But that's where we're at now as a culture, as a society. It's safe to say that gender identity is the cultural hot button right now. This is it. This is the pain point. This is a place of a tremendous emotion and tremendous pain and tremendous, I would say, confusion. There's a lot of confusion about this right now and lots of debate. So... I think for a lot of people, this is the defining issue of their life. That's how important this is. It's an extremely defining issue because for a lot of people, this is very personal. This has everything to do with their sense of identity, everything to do with their value as a human being. And so let us not forget that we are talking about people that Jesus loves. We are talking about people made in the image of God who he has called us also uh, to love. 
And by the way, I happen to believe that the next move of God will, in part, take place through these people. I, I just think that there's already a stirring in the LGBTQI plus community that, that God's on the move already. And if we aren't ready as a church to embrace them and love them, we're going to miss out on what God has for our country and, what, and just this next move of God that is going to happen. So we got to be ready. And we got to lead with love. So for generations, for, for ages, throughout human history, we've had two genders. But now today, there is an acceptance within our culture of 72 more genders or gender combinations. Sex and gender used to be synonymous, but now that's changed. And if you've seen this, you've seen it, you hear it, it's, it's, it's right here. This is what Medical News Today says. It says, gender is different than sex. Although genetic factors typically define a person's sex, gender refers to how they identify inside. Only the person themselves can determine what their gender identity is. And so you can see right there, this is the epicenter of where we're going today. And it's important for you and I to seek to understand why, what's going on here. We can't sit up on a high tower and just judge people. That's, they got it all wrong. Like we have moved from a modern world to a postmodern world. And the, what happened through postmodernism is the erosion of truth. And so now truth is, there's no longer one truth. There's many truths. Whatever you think is truth, you think is truth, you think is truth. It's, they could be completely different, but if it's your truth, that works for you. And I cannot say anything against your truth. That's postmodernism in a nutshell. And that's what brought all of this this confusion and some chaos, lots of hurt, and that's why we continue to go down this road. And so as we discuss this today, look at this today, I just want to encourage you just to keep an open heart, please. And there's going to be things that I say that I think it's important we don't laugh at, we don't mock, we just receive, we're listening, we're learning. I'll be honest and say I have tried my best to understand this topic and keep up with this topic over the last decade and there's a lot to it, so much to it. Can you just please give me grace as I approach this topic? Can you, can you give that to me right now? Thank you, because I need it. And here's the truth. This could be a four-part series, but we're going to try to hit it in one day. And I'm just going to hit some of the main key things that I think are important for us just to begin this conversation and to help us as Christians to address this and how do we handle this. Um, so I'm going to make this as condensed as possible, while trying to speak to this in a very adequate way, okay? So all that to say, this will definitely not be my final thoughts on this subject, too, and our final thoughts on this subject. But the, this topic, gender identity, gender dysphoria, it is moving at such a rapid pace, it is really hard to keep up, because things continue to change in this. But nonetheless, here we go. Ready? Time Magazine put this on the cover of their magazine. This was nine years ago, the transgender tipping point. And so nine years ago, they declared, here we are. We're at the transgender tipping point. And they were right. The next year was when Bruce Jenner came out and said, you can call me Caitlin. And so Bruce Jenner, this famous Olympic athlete, tremendous athlete, he came out and he said, I am now uh, Caitlin. He transitioned into a woman, and he actually won an ESPY award uh, for this. And so Caitlin was given an ESPY award for her courage in becoming a woman. So from there, we've seen a steady growth in our culture of people identifying with different genders. You see it all over TV programs, all over movies. At last count, there were 70 children's programs featuring 259 characters that are not typical genders, but have a variety of gender identities. You see this in Blue's Clues, Star Wars Resistance. Uh, we could go on and on with the list. But you'll see in media, you'll see in popular culture, there's a promotion of this agenda. Many schools are encouraging teachers to take the kids on a journey with this. In fact, in the state of Oregon, 15-year-olds can transition without parental consent. Now we have athletes who are biological male, but they identify as female, so they want to compete 
with the females. And you saw this probably with Leah Thomas. Maybe many of you heard about this and, and watched this two years ago. As Leah had transitioned from a male to a female, Leah was already a male swimmer on the college swim team, but then still wanted to compete as a swimmer, but says, now I'm a female, so I should be able to compete as a female. And so she did, and she actually won the 2022 National Championship for the Women's 500-Yard Freestyle event. And what happened with that was just a huge uproar. It had already been stirring through her just competing, but a huge uproar in the sports world and the political world, and it created lots of conversation, lots of debate. You know, a lot of people are like, this should never be, and other people are just celebrating. Look at the, look at the day and age we're in. People can be any, anyone they want to be. This is great. Uh, but it was quite the dichotomy within the sports world. Even within the LGBTQIA plus community, there is division on how to handle this because, again, a lot of them are like, I think we're taking this too far. Caitlyn Jenner herself, former Olympic athlete, says, biological men should never compete with females. And so you've got division within that community going on. But then this is where we're at. So many wonder this. How many people are there that identify as transgender? In 2018, about five years ago, there were 700,000. Now this year, there are about 1.6 million. The number continues to grow, continues to increase. If we went back 10 years, the number would be far less than what you see on the screen. Again, it's kind of, it's because of this promotion of all this, and I don't have all the stats. I, I decided not to share them with you, but the stats are out there to show that in the older generations, hardly any. In the younger generations, massive amounts of people. Because younger people are just being told, this is okay, just go this direction. So 1.6 million people is about 0.6% of the U.S. population. That's the percentage we're looking at within our country. And so this is where a lot of people will say, 0.6%, come on. Like, why do we need to do all of this for just 0.6? But remember, these are human beings. Please remember this. 0.6%, percentage-wise, is not a lot. But we're talking about 1.6 million people made in the image of God. This is a lot of people. 81% of transgender adults have suicidal ideation, 42% have attempted it, compared to 0.005% of the general population. But this often comes from a lot of bullying, lack of support, and other psychological realities that impact and complicate the issue. Again, please, please just remember, Jesus deeply cares about these people. They are broken, they are hurting, they are trying to find themselves. And Jesus cares for them, and he's calling us to care for them. But this ideology is being pushed uh, hardcore in our culture today. We see it. We feel it. I, I've been studying this because my kids are growing up in this, and I want to know how do I help my kids navigate this. Parents, we must be in the know. Yes. And I, just sheltering them is not the answer. We've got to just have this a part of the, the life discipleship. And Amy and I have been privileged to have several of these transgender girls in our homes and minister to them and love on them and see them find faith in Jesus. It's, it's amazing. But this ideology is so hardcore in our culture that now parents are beginning to raise their kids as non-gender. Maybe you heard of this. Okay, so instead of declaring them male or female as they're, as they're born, they call them a they-be. So they use that pronoun, they-be. It's not a baby, it's a they-be. And they raise the kids to determine that the kid will determine who they are. So we'll let them, when they get to the age and they decide what their gender is, then we'll declare what their gender is. But for now, they are non-gender. A lot of parents are going this direction, and so you see this, they call it a baby. And gender, what they say is gender is no longer between our legs, it's between our ears. Genitals, chromosomes, those don't determine your gender. And, and here's the message, don't conform to societal norms and don't, don't conform to the moral code imposed on by our culture. Personal meaning is found within ourselves. Okay, this is the message. And so anybody who would com combat that and, and say that the gender dysphoria person should not identify with who they think they are, they'll say, well, you need therapy, and that's unethical for you to do that. Okay, so again, this is where the battle starts. And, and I, at 
this level, I, I get it because I think that they, uh, they long to take care of people and let people be themselves and be free. And so I understand this desire. They want to provide care and they deeply believe they're doing what is best. Please understand that. They think this is best for them. So that's why they're allowing people and even their own children to go down this direction. So some important terms in regards to this topic. Gender dysphoria. I've said that several times. Maybe you've never heard that before. What is gender dysphoria? It refers to a psychological distress that results from an incongruence between one's sex assigned at birth and one's gender identity. So they have this feeling, this, uh, this storm going inside of them. I just don't feel right about who I am. I, biologically, I'm told I'm this, but I don't feel like I am. And so they call that dysphoria. Then there's gender identity. This is one's own internal sense of self and gender, not what they are born with physically. So this is where they land with the gender dysphoria, then they come out with their gender identity. I identify as this. This is who I am now. This is who I feel that I am. Then you got gender expression, and this is how a person presents their gender outwardly. Through their behavior, their clothing, their voice, other perceived characteristics, they express themselves according to the gender that they identify with. And then sexual identity would now refer to uh, this is who the person is attracted to. Okay, so what we see here is really a deconstruction of gender. Just a total breakdown, and gender is just kind of a free-for-all. It's whatever you feel like it is, and you tell us who you are, and whatever you feel like is, is, is okay with you, and we're not going to tell you otherwise. And so this is the, the direction we're going now. Uh, maybe you've heard of Demi Lovato. She identifies as non-binary. And so she came out publicly and she says, I'm struggling with this. It's exhausting, she says, because I identify as non-binary. And her reason is having to access the woman's bathroom, even though I don't completely identify with it, it just doesn't make sense to me. Hopefully with time, there will be more options. And so even with her, she's telling, I'm, I'm identifying as this, but there's still a dysphoria, a gender dysphoria going on inside of her. Like, I'm struggling because I'm forced to go into the woman's bathroom, but I don't think I should. And so this is where a lot of people are at. And again, it's important for us to know where they're at so we can meet them right where they're at so we can love them in that place. Now, here's what's interesting. It is said 80% of kids will go back to their birth gender if they're left alone. This is what studies are beginning to show us. If they don't face the pressure from the schools, from the teacher, from the media, from the social media, from all that. If, if we leave them alone, 80% will actually go back to their birth gender. And, and a lot of people are trying. Maybe you heard the stories of all these detransitioners now. It's happening a lot. And detransitioners are beginning to take the, uh, share their story, and it's good because we need to hear their story. Like, they've gone through this, and now they're like, uh, that wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I'm in a worse place than I was. I'm going back. And so they're starting to share their story. And they, uh, again, this is the stories we need to hear. And people are beginning to take notice of this. And they're realizing things like this. Like maybe giving kids puberty blockers is not, and hormone blockers, maybe that's not the best way to handle gender dysphoria, to which I would agree. And so I'd like a, for us to take some time. Let's look at God's word. How do we handle this and process this through God's word? And that helps us to respond to this. And we'll look at some practice and how we can respond. But let's start with the very beginning. Genesis chapter one. Okay, we've gone, I think we've gone here almost every week in this series because this is where we gotta go, back to the very, very beginning. Genesis one, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And so this is what we see from the very beginning. Our creator created us with two genders, male and female. And on top of that, he also created us in his image. 
We are all image bearers of the creator. Every human being walking on this earth is an image bearer of the creator. Now, you can take that further. Within the female gender, there are aspects and characteristics of God's image. Within the male gender, there are aspects of God's image as well that are even different from the female gender. So both genders give us a full, a complete, and I would say a beautiful picture of who God really is. And this is why we need each other. We need to learn from the opposite gender. They think differently, they act differently. And we need to hear that. Um, Also, this is why marriage is so beautiful, that the two becoming one, they are united into one, they become one flesh. This is a picture, this is imagery uh, and a reflection of the triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, two becoming one, and just the intimacy that is involved in a marriage, it reflects the image of God and the community that God has. So he created us, male and female, and we're different. You learn that very early on in grade school, don't you? (laughs) We're different. And it's funny, when you're in elementary school, you don't like the difference. Like, boys will say, girls are, 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 are icky. And, and girls will say the same thing about boys, right? Then all of a sudden, teenage years hit, and you're like, wait a second, I changed my mind. That's what happens, it happens for most people, right? Deuteronomy 22 says this and speaks to the difference between men and women. A woman must not put on men's clothing. A man must not wear women's clothing. Anyone who does this is detestable in the sight of the Lord your God. So what we see here, obviously it's Old Testament scripture, but we see is a principle from God that we need to apply to our life today. And what we cannot do is interpret this scripture out of our Western American cultural context, which is so often what we do, by the way, because we live in the, you know, the 21st century you know, Western culture, United States of America, and we read the Bible and we interpret it through that lens. This was written thousands of years ago, friends, to people that you know, our country did not even exist. Different culture, different place, and so we've always got to remember like, what's going on in that time to help me understand how I can receive this today. So if we apply a cultural context to this today, we'd say, well, men shouldn't wear skirts, Deuteronomy 22. But have you been to Scotland? I've been to Scotland, there's dudes with hairy legs walking around with skirts all over the place. Okay, so if we apply cultural things to it, like it doesn't all, like there's cultural things that change and shift and don't really matter. But the principle is this, is that God said men and women are different. They were designed and created differently. Jesus even spoke to this. This was the text that we read at the beginning. Let's look at this again. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one since they are no longer two but one. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. And with that answer, Jesus anchors his thoughts and his ideology all the way back in the Old Testament to the first chapter of the Old Testament, Genesis chapter one. He's like, remember, you've heard this. God created male and female. And so Jesus right here affirms the creation account. He affirms Genesis. He affirms all of the Old Testament. He quotes all over the Old Testament. But he also affirms male and female gender right there. So then it goes on. They say, why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery, unless his wife has been unfaithful. Jesus' disciples said to him, if this is the case, it's better not to marry. Not everyone can accept the statement, Jesus said. Only those whom God helps. Some are born as eunuchs. Some have been made eunuchs by others. And some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this. Who can? So maybe you've read verse 12 before, 
And when you get to that place, you just kind of fly over it, like many of us have done, right? Like, oh, the eunuchs passage, like, well, that's not for me. Like, skip over that. Like, we just kind of, we read it, but it just kind of doesn't register. We don't think about it. Or if we do, our thoughts are, dear God, I hope that's not me. Some of you, you thought this. I know, okay, just be honest. Like, some of them won't marry. They'll decide not to marry. Not me, God. You're not, that's not, you're not talking to me here. And so then again, we ignore that text right there, right? And so we've ignored that part of Jesus' statement, maybe for many reasons, but he is saying some really important words here. It's important we receive all of Jesus' teachings and, and ask, why did he speak to this? And right here, Jesus is acknowledging, without taking away from male and female, he spoke to that, but then he's also acknowledging, really, guys, we live in a broken and fallen world. And some people are born eunuchs. Some people choose that. Some people are forced into that. Some people choose it for the sake of the kingdom. Maybe that's the part you're like, oh, please, God, no, I'm not, I, like, I love you, but not that much. I'll serve you, but not that much. I'll never forget hearing a story about this lady named Lillian Trasher. She was an Assemblies of God missionary back in the early 20th century, early 1900s. And she was actually engaged to be married. And if I remember the story correctly, her husband's like, I'm not sure about this missions thing. I don't know if I'm called the missions. And she's like, well, I'm called the missions. She broke the engagement and she went and lived and spent her entire life as a single woman in Egypt as a missionary to Egypt. And she started orphanages. She lived an incredible, fruitful, successful, enjoyable life as a single woman for the sake of the kingdom all of her life. And I commend people like that. Some people choose for the sake of the kingdom to say, no, I don't need to marry. This is you and me, Jesus, the rest of my life. But then some people are born this way. And so right here, Jesus is acknowledging we live in a fallen and broken world. And I think at least in part, Jesus helps us to understand how to deal with this thing called intersex. How do we deal with this? How do we handle this? Intersex, someone who is born with a combination of male and female reproductive traits or anatomy. Again, this is what the I in the LGBTQIA plus stands for, intersex. This is what happens today to about 0.05% of babies who are born. Medically, this is what they call it. They called it for years DSD. It's a disorder of sex development. Disorder of sex development. Now they're trying to change that that first D to be difference, a difference of sex development, because the idea is that we should never make people feel like they were born with something wrong with them, so they want to call it a difference instead of a disorder. Um, and so that's part, they're trying to change the narrative of this. And again, you, get, you understand why, but regardless, it just speaks to just the brokenness of humanity. I'll never forget learning when I was in high school that there was somebody in the high school that I was in that was intersex. And it really bothered me, and I, I felt really bad for that person. And I even felt so bad. I remember questioning God, like, God, why would you allow somebody to be born like that? That, that doesn't even seem fair. It doesn't make sense. And again, there's a lot of questions like that, that we don't have all the answers for, except for we live in a fallen and broken world. And there's things that happen that just don't make sense that honestly should not happen. But we live in a Genesis 3 world. Sin entered the world and broke humanity, broke our world. Because of sin, we have death and disease and all this craziness and heartache and drama and pain and all the things of life that we don't, we don't like. It's because of sin that entered the world in Genesis 3. We live in a fallen and broken world. So what's interesting is the Old Testament actually speaks to this same thing, and I love the hope that God brings to these people. Listen to this, Isaiah 56, and don't let the eunuchs say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says, I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than the sons and daughters could give, for the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. I just love that God acknowledges even those, the broken people of our world. And he says, 
I got a calling for them as well. If you will, no matter who you are, no matter what you're going through in life, if you'll put your trust in me and follow me, I got great plans for you. Uh, I got a name for you that will never go away because I'm eternal and I have eternal plans for you. If you just trust in me, there's hope for all of us, friends. And there's hope for all the people stuck in brokenness, whatever that is, is because of Jesus. And so again, I say it's important that we have compassionate conviction. It's okay to have conviction. We wanna be people of conviction, but let's have compassion with our conviction, right? We love you. I, I recognize you've gone through a lot. I don't fully understand, but I just want you to know, we love you. You're welcome here. You belong here. We want to see you live a purposeful, meaningful life. I believe God has purpose and hope for you, just like we read about. We want to speak those things over people, over everybody. Right, but So compassion with conviction. There's a difference between being born with a condition and really deciding to change who you are. There's a difference. I get it, though. Again, there's this cultural pressure to not just accept people that struggle with this, but to praise them, to encourage them. You keep going down this road. If someone begins to question their gender identity, they feel this gender dysphoria inside of them, they go and seek professional help because this is what we're told to do. Go get professional help. And then they will tell them, here's, here's what you need to do. Get hormone blockers, begin to change how you talk, how you look, begin changing your body. You can even start thinking about surgeries and procedures to help with this whole process. And we're pushed down this road. And I read and heard quite a few stories of parents who their own kids began to question their gender. They felt gender dysphoria, or even some, they just kind of like, they had an idea, like, well, maybe it's me. They didn't feel it, but they just were wondering because they heard about it. And so they go seek professional help. And this is the road they're pushed down. Well, then you need to do this hormone blockers right now. And here's what they do is they'll look at the parents and they say, if you don't let them go down this road, then your child is in danger of suicide. And this is what they say. And all of a sudden, the parents' hands are, are, are tied. Like, I don't want my child to be in danger of suicide at all. And so they just kind of go with the flow. And I feel for parents stuck in that. This is why parents, we need to be informed. We need to understand how do we deal with this? How do we process this? Because if, if we're to tell people, well, why don't you explore why you feel this way? Let's talk about that first. Let's explore what are you feeling? What are you thinking? Um, seek counsel or therapy on this. But what will happen is people will begin to look at you and say, that's offensive. You're just bigoted. You're transphobic. That's what you are and instantly pushed back on this, and this is where the war comes. In fact, did you know almost half of millennials believe that misgendering people should be a criminal offense? This is how strong the convictions are today, guys. It's a criminal offense if you misgender somebody. And if you work in the workplace that does all the pronouns and all that, you feel it. You know like, oh, there's so much pressure about all of this, so how do we respond? What would Jesus do? What should I believe about all of this? Can I just say first, to those of you who may be struggling with or you identify with this gender dysphoria, please know we love you. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're listening, you're joining us, you're, you're, you're processing, you're hearing all this. I just want you to know there's a God who loves you so much that he created you, he gave you life. And please know this, as I stand up here with hopefully compassionate conviction, Medication is not the answer to all the feelings that you're struggling with. You're struggling with your identity, but medication is not gonna solve that. Medication will never make feelings and emotions better. Many of us have found that already for a lot of other reasons, okay? At best, medication just temporarily numbs our feelings. But what happens is the long-term effects is a lot worse than what you currently feel. And this is exactly what all the detransitioners are telling us, by the way. I didn't feel better, I felt worse. I was more confused, I, I was, and now, now I've changed my body, I've damaged my body, and I wanna go back and I can't. Because as a 14-year-old, they told me this is what I had to do. People like Chloe Cole, maybe you've heard of Chloe, she's one of them. She began transitioning to a boy at the age of 12. At the age of 15, she had a double mastectomy. Then at the age of 17, she began to transition. She's like, wait a second, I don't feel any better. This is not what it was cut out to be. What I was promised is not happening. And so now Chloe's 19, 
beautiful girl, and she speaks about the dangers of radical gender ideology. And I would say, scientifically, it doesn't make sense to push this ideology. Logically, it just doesn't make sense that we should change our bodies or change our biology based upon our feelings. What makes sense is you get your feelings to line up with your your body, because feelings can change. Your body's not going to change. Okay, so in in my opinion, the science is that we should trust our biology when we're trying to determine our sexuality. And and so this is the the compassionate conviction that we need to stand up with and, 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 and have, right? So again, the message that I just want those with gender dysphoria to hear is that Jesus offers you life, the life you long for, the wholeness you long for, the the healing you long for, Jesus offers that to you. Here's the deal. We all struggle with identity at times. Every single one of us on the planet, we have all struggled with broken sexuality. We've all felt the effects of that, been hurt by it. Okay, all of us, we all need the grace of Jesus. And we need to find our security in him and our identity in him. Every single one of us. So the new gender ideology will say, your identity can only be found within yourself. It's between your ears, okay? No one can oppose you or tell you otherwise, but I just want you to know, I think there's somebody who loves you so much that they created you and gave you life, and you can find your identity in him because he knows why he created you, and he knows who he created you to be. He's the only one that can give us our identity. It's only found in Jesus, the one who created us, our creator, okay? So here's the deal. The biggest question for us to wrestle with and deal with in life is not what gender am I. It's not how can I do what feels good to me or how can I live a happy life. The biggest question that you and I have to really address is what am I going to do with Jesus? With the life, the death, the resurrection, and the teachings of Jesus. I've got to really, really wrestle through that. Because the good news is that Jesus offers life. (laughs) He offers life uh, for all of us. And he really did live on this earth. He really did die a criminal's death on a cross by the Roman Empire. The question is, did he really rise from the dead? Because if he did, friends, everything about his teachings matters. Everything about Jesus matters, and you and I must look at his teachings and say, okay, Jesus, help me to follow you and help me to uh, follow your teachings the best that I can. And by the way, forgive me, and thank you for taking my sins on the cross. And in that, as we put our trust in Jesus, ask for forgiveness. We die to ourselves and our sins. We find life in Jesus. So I heard somebody say this week, said this. We live in a Genesis 3 world with a Genesis 1 blueprint on a trajectory toward a Revelation 21 future. It's so true. Like Revelation 3, this world's broke because of sin. Everybody feels it. Like there's wars going on right now but we still live with the Genesis 1 blueprint. God created us in his image, male and female. And thankfully, Jesus on the cross restored that relationship, that life back to him, but we're on a trajectory still to that Roman 21 future, Revelation 21 future, where it's the last chapter of the Bible, where Jesus promises, I'm coming back and I'm gonna make all things good. I'm gonna restore all things to the way it was in the very beginning before y'all broke it. So I just love that statement. We're all heading in that direction. And in the end, it won't matter what gender you were. It only mattered is did you follow and put your trust in Jesus? That's all that will matter. So let's look at a couple more scriptures as we end here that'll really help us in processing this. Romans 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This truly is the way to worship him. I just love this, guys. You and I, we worship God by how we handle and take care of our body all week long. That is an act of worship. We are living sacrifices. And so let's let's offer our bodies to God because of all that he's done for us, like Jesus, not only did he give you a body, He, in his human body, took your sins on the cross. He died for you. And so in light of all that he's done for you and me, let's give our bodies to him as an act of worship. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, 
but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Oh, see, please understand this, guys. For the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, our body is sacred. Our gender that God has given us, it is sacred. Our sexuality is sacred and it is holy. And how we live that out is an act of worship to God. He has given that to us. Whoever you are, that's what God gave to you. And so in response to that, we, we worship God, we worship him with our bodies. And what's cool is we, we reject the ideologies of the world. We say, Jesus, I want to follow you and trust you. He changes us from the inside out by the renewing of our mind. And so this is what we need to do, guys. We need to be in God's word and letting him speak to us, let the spirit just move and work. Like we can't change ourselves. Only the Holy Spirit can change us. And so we would let the spirit do his work in us as we stay grounded in his word and, and, and this is why we've got to minimize the media input, the news input. I don't want to think culturally about how to approach my life. I want to think biblically about how to approach my life and how to live my life, okay? I don't want to be more American in my thinking. I want to be more biblical in my thinking. I don't want to be more media in my thinking. I want to be more biblical in my thinking. And so I got to go to the Word of God and be grounded in the Word of God. Let the Word of God wash over your mind and cleanse you and let God by his spirit transform you from the inside out. And what happens is he changes how you think. And so many of us, we've experienced it. We've seen it. Like I used to think this. Now I think this by God's grace (laughs) because he's doing a work in me and I'm in process and he's changing the way that I think. And here's what the great news is with that is then you and I can walk in the will of God. God's got plans for you. They're good. They're pleasing. And they are perfect. And as you and I allow him to renew our minds, we can understand clearly what his will is. You want to walk in the will of God and experience his good, pleasing, and perfect will? Allow him to change you from the inside out by the renewing of your mind. And then the last scripture is this. Paul said this to the Corinthian church, and there's a lot of issues going on in the Corinthian church, but this is just one of the ones that he addressed. 1 Corinthians 6, uh, starting with verse 15. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ. Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. Don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. And that's my prayer for us, is that you and I would honor God with our bodies. If you're struggling with gender dysphoria, you can look to God, and he will help you with this. And the calling for all of us is to honor him with how we live in this body. It is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives inside of you and me as followers and believers in him. If you've never said yes to Jesus and you do so today, the Spirit of God will come and live inside of you. You will become a temple of the Spirit. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Do you love that? We're temples of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that how we live lets the Holy Spirit just move freely in and through our lives. Honor the Lord with your body because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So how do we respond to this practically? Again, I'm just kind of hitting some high points in this, but I did ask Pastor Rachel, who lives in this world, I said, how do you, how do you handle this as a believer in the workplace and all these pronouns and all this? What do you do with that? And so uh, Pastor Rachel put together a video. I want you to listen to her story and how she navigates this in the workplace as a believer. Preferred name and pronouns, even if it doesn't seem to match their appearance. And I know not everyone will agree with me in that area, but I believe in giving dignity to all people, um, to all humans, because, but for the grace of God, (laughs) there go I, right? And I also believe that using somebody's preferred name and pronouns does give um, dignity 
And it's not the same as giving full approval to all lifestyle choices um, just across the board. So whenever I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing with something, I always go back to what I know is true. And so for me, I do know that Jesus treated everyone, regardless of their sexual history, regardless of their career choices. He treated them with dignity, but he also didn't just let them stay there either. He called them into something better. He called them to leave empty identities, empty career paths behind. And that's something that the Lord has taught me how to do. It's not easy. I will be the first to say it is not easy. But what I do also know is that the word says in John 1, 5, that the light, that Jesus was the light in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome him. And we do know, and I know we're going to get into this more in the message, that you know everyone longs for identity. Everyone longs for community. Everyone longs for belonging. And so if you can keep in mind that those who are transgender, those who are gender fluid, those who are questioning, that they are longing for a savior. They're longing for meaning. They're longing for purpose. If you can keep that at the forefront of your mind, all the conversations about the politicalness of these different conversations, it fades away completely. When you remember that there's a broken person in need of a savior, just as much as you need a savior standing right in front of you. Um, And so if you can keep in mind that those people are deeply longing for Jesus, it's going to make the person standing in front of you make so much more sense. And you're going to know how to treat them so much better. And so I just wanted to share too, I know like you may not completely agree with me. This is definitely a hard, like hard one thing that I'm going through. This is something the Lord has had to work with me personally on too. Um, But I wanted to encourage you that if you're struggling and you don't know what to do, maybe you're facing different relationships, you're like, gosh, how do I treat this individual? I strongly encourage you to seek the Holy Spirit on it because he will show you exactly what to do. I will say that I've had a number of different situations where you know, one student feels a certain way and I'm supposed to treat them a certain way. And then another student, I'm supposed to approach it a very different way. And so the Lord, the Lord gives grace to those moments too. So I encourage you to keep going, keep pressing forward, but more importantly, remember how Jesus would see that person in front of you. Thank you. Hi there. Thanks, Pastor Rachel. You know, there's so many more things that I could say, uh, but I just want to end by just encouraging us with with three things that we can do in response. What can we do, especially as we come to the end of this series? This is the last part of the Asking for a Friend series. And I think these things apply and speak to compassionate conviction again. And I think if you have a relationship with somebody, it's okay to have conviction. It's, it's, it's amazing how gracious people can be as you just talk with them and have a relationship with them. And, you know, Amy can share stories of just messing up and calling them the wrong name, the wrong pronoun, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm sorry, you know, but there's, there's grace from them so often, which we're thankful for. But that happens often through relationship. And things that maybe you can't do in the workplace, you can do through relationships outside of the workplace. If you want to be someone who just like, I just really struggle, one approach could be, you know, ask people like, do you think I sh- people should live according to their convictions? To which everybody would agree with. And you can say, well, here's my conviction. You were born as this, and so that's just a conviction I have. Just know that it's violating a conviction that's really important to me. But I share that because I love you. And then how, where you want to go from there, I think is an appropriate, compassionate conviction conversation. Then you can address whatever, however you feel led to address them and, and um, how, whatever you guys agree upon. But again, that requires relationship and trust in order to have that. But it's okay to have conviction in this. So here's the three things I would encourage us with. Number one, pray. Okay, pray. Pray about everything. Pray for everyone. Pray for people. Can we just pray for a mighty move of God in our country? Can we pray for revival in the land? For God to renew us and renew his church and for a movement of his spirit within the LGBTQIA plus community that God would just get a hold of their hearts and show them he loves them so much and he just might use you. So pray, pray, pray. Let's pray for God to move in and through us. It's amazing how when you pray for people specifically, you have a heart of love for them. It's also amazing how he opens doors for ministry and conversation when you're praying. I always love the ironic moments I get when I start praying for them. Like, well, that's crazy. That's irony. No, actually, this is what I was praying for. And God opens doors through your prayers. Pray. Number two, let me just say this. Let's love people. Love people. It's part of our mission, right? Love people, live like Jesus, and lead others to him. You won't be able to lead people to Jesus if they don't feel love from you. 
It won't happen, okay? If they feel judgment or whatever, then it's like, peace out on the Jesus. I don't even care about you. Why would I want your Jesus? Love people. This is a starting place for all of us in regards to all these topics. And then number three, I would say, stand up with compassionate conviction. It's okay for you to stand up. As Christians, I, th- I believe we're called to stand up with compassionate conviction. We don't want to let things just fall to the wayside. We want conviction and the principles and the truths of God to permeate our lives, our workplace, our society, and our country. Amen? So let me just give you freedom to still stand up with compassionate conviction. This is why you got to know the truth of God so that you can stand in the truth of God. Stand up with compassionate conviction. This is how we can respond to all of these things. And this is my calling to us as a church. Pray, love people, but stand up for compassionate conviction. Would you stand your feet? Let's do that first thing right now. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.